Welcome to the American Med Spa Podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch is joined by Ben Hernandez of Skytel Group. This is part one in a two-part series. All right, everybody, welcome. This is Medical Spa Insider, Alex Tiersch, your host. This is the podcast for AmSpa, and we are lucky to have today on the AmSpa hotline, Mr. Ben Hernandez of Skytail Group. And we've been talking actually uh, for a couple episodes now about the um, M&A, the mergers and acquisitions market kind of in general um, as it relates to medical spas and non-surgical medical aesthetics. There's been a lot of uh, private equity groups looking around. There's been some some acquisitions, both for, of of you know medical spas in various sizes, as well as in the industry. So we're lucky to have Ben. Ben with his um, and his team at Skytail Group um, do a lot, but mostly what what he's involved in is advising um, buyers and sellers on the process, as well as introducing different folks to, to different buyers. He's been involved in, in, in M and a in various capacities for a long time. He's helped out a lot of med spas, a lot of, um, dental groups. Uh, so he knows this process about as well as anybody. Um, Ben, welcome to the program. Thank you, Alex, for having me. Uh, long-time listener, so I'm excited for this one. <laughs> yeah, and and some of you might recognize Ben or his voice from he's been on um, several of the um, several of our our webinars and stuff over the course of the last couple of years. So so he he's been a good friend to Amspa. Ben, um, tell me just for folks who are listening, and I know I probably did a shitty job of of introducing you. What uh, what it is you do in terms of um, you know buying, selling med spas, helping folks get 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 bought? What's your what's your role in all that? Certainly. So, you know, usually we work with clients within the med spa space to, um, one, uh, help build them, help scale them. So a typical first phone call is, hey, I have maybe three locations and I'm trying to scale. I'm trying to grow my team. I'm trying to centralize. And I heard about this MSO thing. And we typically partner with them um, on, on actually growing them to where they usually have a number in mind as to when they're going to have an exit event or a sale event. So once they get there, that's when we get into exactly what you're talking about, Alex. And, um, you know, where we help our clients on the sell side is we usually specialize in, there are a few options when you're ready to sell. You can sell, let's just give an example, physician to physician, that's not where we specialize in. We typically specialize in actually selling our clients, the med spas, and connecting them with whether it's a financial sponsor. Usually that means private equity, family office, think of organizations like that, or maybe pairing them with a strategic buyer, which is usually a you know relatively large MSO that already has a platform, and they're usually backed by or financed mm-hmm. by the financial sponsor. So the private equity group already has a group, and and, and they can use them as a tuck-in. We usually help guide that entire process uh, to you know get full value for our clients' business. Right, right. So let's um, 
So you're you're involved kind of in 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 several steps of the process um, from helping helping med spas uh, grow so they can be acquired, um, helping advise them when they're going to be acquired, helping them get get hooked up with buyers and and, and all that. Um, I would love to talk just generally because you've been in this capacity um, for a while now with med spas, but then you also did it earlier with dental and and, and some other related groups. I'm I'm curious just for your take. Um, on what's going on right now in aesthetics and specifically uh, the med spa market, and you know what's the general like? Give us the temperature on on the M and A uh, side of things here for med spas, and, and and what's happening right now? Where we're where and why are we talking about this? You know, this is now the third podcast we've done related to M and A. Like, what's what's going on with with this market right now? You know, Alex, it's so interesting. And, you know, it's a bit of a history lesson involved here as well. As you mentioned, we were or we are in dentistry, which is a few years ahead, quite a few, maybe a few decades ahead, I should say. Um, And I remember about four years ago, uh, we all sat in a room and were discussing, okay, what services is the med spa space going to utilize? And you know, one of the questions came up of, uh, is this, is, is the med spa space going to actually take advantage of the scaling and the selling side? And I still remember my answer. We had done all the research. We had seen the tremendous growth in the industry. We have seen a lot of great leaders in this industry that are, that were already scaling back then. Um, and it simply was the way that we defined it in that meeting. I said, yeah, absolutely. Maybe not today compared to dentistry, but if you look at the trajectory, if you look at the way that the space is growing, if you look at just within healthcare, this book has already been written, right? And what I mean by that is we've seen it in pharmacy. We've seen it in hospitals, dentals going through it and, and our space is going through it now, which is we see a fragmented subsector of healthcare that has a huge ability to consolidate. And there's a lot of opportunity there. We saw that then. So fast forward to today, what started happening around Q1 of 2021 um, mm-hmm. is we, we, we field a lot of phone calls from private equity groups. And they'll usually call us and, or email us and ask, hey, if you have anything in this space or that space, let us know. I would say that, and this is the first time this has happened, since then, we've had more phone calls on the, within the aesthetic space as compared to the other spaces. Um, so you're seeing the trajectory, and the way that we say it is, look, we're, we're kind of in chapter one of this book of 20 chapters. We know how it's going to end. We're simply early on, but we're getting a lot of interest and a lot of phone calls uh, from financial sponsors. And so you're talking... Um these are private equity groups with with you know massive um, and I say massive I, I I'm saying that relatively speaking you know compared to what a lot of folks in med spas are used to but they've got you know funds with a hundred 150 or 50 million whatever dollars that they're they're looking to to deploy and spend in um, the med spa space and you're getting more of those calls than you are for folks interested in dental or ophthalmology or things like that is that what you're saying it is, yes. And, and this year is the first time that that has happened, but it has picked up. You know, we talked about the story from four years ago. It's picked up year after year. The number of phone calls that we've gotten, both from the sellers and from the buyers, have continued to trend that way. 
And, and I think we're at this point where it's starting to snowball a little mm-hmm. bit, meaning it's not growing at a multiplier. It's growing like at an exponential uh, space, uh, the, the questions and comments that we're getting. Yeah, you know, um, I would love to talk about that because I, I feel the same thing. We've been talking about um, big money coming into the med spa space for years, really. I mean, since for you know four or five years, we've been talking about some of these companies that have been poking around. Um, it seems to have reached an, an inflection point, both from the fact where they are now deploying not just not just money, but but a lot of money, large dollar amounts. Um, large multiples, and we'll get into what that means uh, in, in, in a second for those of you who don't know. But at the same time, I feel like we're also seeing on the seller side um, some of these med spas that maybe quite weren't mature enough or ready enough two, three years ago getting to a point where they've they've not only um, built up their revenue, they've built up their brand, but the, the owners are ready to kind of take a step back and, and, and talk about that a little bit. I mean, what, what, why is, why is this happening now as opposed to last year or two years ago? And then get into like, what does the future look like? What's the next step in the, in this book? Yeah, I think it's a combination of sellers, uh, kind of growing within the space, right? It's a relatively young space. And I think that when you have that, you have entrepreneurial minded owners. Uh, And I think we all know who some of those are. They're entrepreneurial in nature. They're looking at their, let's just pretend a single location. And they're thinking, you know, I could actually provide this great patient care to others within, within, you know, whether it's near that same location and they've tapped out and they're wondering, is this, is this it? Or do I want to add another location? And then do I want to add another location? So I think what we're seeing from a sell side perspective is we're seeing these entrepreneurial minded leaders in the space continue to scale, continue to grow. And as, as they do that, it very naturally leads into basically creating your own MSO platform, if you will, where you're creating your own platform yourself of a leadership team. Like when you get to a certain inflection point, three, four locations, it's very difficult for you to keep your eye on everything that's going on. So you start building leadership layers. That becomes very, very attractive to buyers. Buyers are seeing that. So buyers on on that end, and, and this year is very interesting. If you read on what private equity has, there's this thing called dry powder. And basically what that means is cash on the side that they need to invest because you know, cash just sitting there is expensive. They need to have a certain return for their investors. And they're looking at spaces as to where they're going to put that capital to use. And our space is just a very attractive space. It, it's, it has very good margins. Um, it, it doesn't have, you know, much of any insurance. Uh, it doesn't have Medicaid. It's, you know, cash up front. So like AR isn't a big issue. It has so many components that are so attractive Uh, to buyers. And by the way, it has the ability to scale. It has the ability to consolidate and it's extremely early on. So you get the combination of both of those. And I think it's just creating a really nice frothiness uh, in our space to where you're starting to get questions of who do you have? And I think sellers are starting to realize that these questions are being asked. And I would say that there's more supply from the buyer side then there is actual 
you know, seller supply to meet that, meaning, you know, private equities. And we've heard we've actually heard this, Alex. It was interesting. One of the funds actually told us, you know, our original thesis was let's look for something that's like a 20 location med spa group and we'll make that our platform. They, they went down to 15, they went down to 10, they went down to five. They're still looking. So what that means is there's a lot of opportunity for the entrepreneurial-minded med spa owners that we're seeing in the space to meet that. Yeah, I mean, first of all, we're going to have to do we're going to have to do some subtitles or like a, a glossary. We've got frothiness, we've got dry powder, we've got you know we've got all this 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 M and A talk that we're going to have to 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 decipher. But I think what you're saying is is something that that and I think you're right. Like I feel like I've I've been saying this again for a couple of years, but this is the first year where it really is. It's frothy. There is just there, there's so much action right now. And if you are a, uh, a young med spa owner, um, like now is a time because the, the, the market, the market factors are in our favor because the, you know, you've got with, with COVID, with just the last, you know, five years of, of investing, a lot of these companies have a lot of money just sitting there. Um, our, our market is primed and ready. Um, what, so let's talk about a little bit, um, what is it? Are, are are there are there single med spas that are being purchased in this way, or you've mentioned you know four or five locations in a management team? I mean, what is it that that these buyers are looking for? It really depends on the buyer, um, and, and here's what I mean by that: we have some buyers that call and they say, "I need a platform," mm-hmm. uh, and for them, a single location probably wouldn't be the right fit. Um, And then even within that, that can mean a multitude of things. It can mean I need a five location. It can mean I need a 30 location. You have private equity groups that, for example, don't look at anything over, and I know we'll get into this in a little bit, over 5 million EBITDA, for example. That's a large, large group. We have others that can't go quite that high. So I guess what I'm saying is there's a fit for every seller. And for a single location, we do have, Uh, financial buyers that are interested in single locations. They've told us that. So there is absolutely a space for them. The other place for a single location that makes a lot of sense is, you know, to pair them up with a strategic buyer. Uh, And, you know, usually the thing that we need to watch out for there is make sure if we're representing, for example, the single location seller, make sure that the strategic buyers make sense. Meaning if it's a larger MSO that's going to, quote unquote, tuck you in, which means you're going to become part of that larger group, then, you know, the homework for all of us on our end is to do due diligence and make sure that our seller likes the way that the group they're about to join, um, you know, does things the way that they like to do them. And and there's a nice synergy between them. But, you know, in in summary, regardless of the size, there's a market for you. And Mm -hmm. and it's just about pairing the right financial buyer or strategic buyer. Yeah, I mean, you've got to have had some conversations. And by the way, I do want to just mark for the record that you said doo-doo, which I think is funny because I'm immature. But besides... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Besides that, um, back to the, the 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 serious stuff. There's there's not that many thirty location med spas, right? There's not that many five location med spas. Most of them are one to two. So you've got to. I mean, is, is that a is that a net positive or or a, a negative for 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 sellers at this point? 
I think it's a net positive for sellers because what it does is it allows all this white space to where if you are able to do that, if you are able to get there, and if you want to get there, then there's a big, big opportunity because it would be worse if it were the opposite, meaning if we had, let's say, five private equity groups looking for five location med spas and we had 200 five location mm-hmm. med spas on the docket, what that would do is it would put an imbalance on the value of the organizations because, you know, any private equity group would say, well, I have my pick of 100. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to pay this premium. The opposite is true. You have so many private equity groups, so many investors looking to get into the space. And by the way, wanting to be early entrants in the space, which if you are one of the people who does have five locations, whatever it may be, then you're going to have a lot of groups chasing you, looking Mm -hmm. at you. And if you have a well-run business, then what that should translate to is a higher value for your organization than you would get if the inverse were true. So I think for the seller, it's a, it's a net positive. And actually, Alex, what you said perfectly kind of parlays into what we mentioned earlier, which is groups, uh, buyer groups have come in with the thesis of I need a 20 location and they whittled it down to, I'm willing to look at smaller mm-hmm. groups that have really good leadership that have some sort of special sauce. And then I can put my capital behind that and, and grow with them, if you will. So yeah. uh, it, it's very interesting. What? So let's talk value. I know people are are listening, and you know, folks. One thing that I've been surprised at, and 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 maybe surprised is not the the right word, is that this is relatively speaking a young, immature market. You know, med spas are still developing. Um, we're still trying to find our footing. There's still a lot of single and and well, you know, most most med spas are are just one location. Um, I think what what is surprising to people is what they can get for their their brand. And I, I, I think one thing that we're seeing is word is starting to get out that, you know, the the market is in a in a position where you can be fairly well compensated for your med spa or your group of med spas. And and it's you know, it's not always gonna last that long, but but or, or be that way. Let's let's talk about value. Um what types of values are 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 we seeing and is there a way for folks to kind of ballpark what you know what their what their med spa is worth to, to a buyer right now? Yeah, absolutely. And, and we're seeing the same thing, Alex. There is a way to ballpark it. Um, I'll start at the beginning and, and we'll send the glossary after this yeah. because it's going to get even worse. I'll try to throw in a doo-doo in there to make it less <laughs> formal. But so what we're seeing, if you're talking about whether you're a single location med spa or if you have five, step one, if you want to gauge what do we think we could go for in the marketplace before even talking to a buyer is get to your adjusted EBITDA number. Um, and what does that mean? Adjusted EBITDA number one, it's earnings before interest taxes, depreciation and amortization. More specifically, why buyers use it is it's a very rough, dirty way to get to free cash flow. So they're essentially paying a multiple on your free cash flow. So think of it that way. Uh, We can think of it as profitability as well. So when you get to that number, 
Um, and let's just say you have a $1.5 million med spa, you're probably going to have something like a, let's just say 400,000 of adjusted EBITDA. So, you, so, so, so yeah. in your diet, if you have a 1.5 million in revenue, you're going to have somewhere in a $400,000 adjusted EBITDA, which, which means kind of your, 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 it means other things. I like to look at it because I'm simple minded, just like a kind of your net, net operating income, right? That's kind of what your profit is, right? Okay. So, so, yes. okay. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, no, and that operating income is another way to think of it. I think that's that's spot on. It's usually very close. If you have something like that, that's, you know, single location, you know, we're, we're seeing really good values for that. We're seeing, and a lot of this, by the way, this is where I hesitate getting into multiples because, you know, what I like to say to people is if you let me draft your LOI, I can pay you a 10 times multiple because there's a lot of nuances within a deal structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is that we can get really weedy into this, but basically if we're trying to gauge what truly would we be valued at? I think something around a four to five times multiple of that would be reasonable. And then when you get into the scaling concept and, you know, the five location, the 10 location, let's just pretend that you get to about a $7 million EBITDA. Okay. Just okay. to show the difference in, in what buyers pay. Usually what we see there conservatively is a nine times multiple. So you start seeing there that for the same dollar, for a smaller group, you're getting, let's just say, you know, $4 for that dollar of profitability or $5. As you scale, as you grow, as you build out a team, as you, as you build out your secret sauce, that $1 is actually worth $9. That profitability dollar, same dollar is worth $9. So that's, that's where a lot of the motivation comes from, from our sellers to scale to build multiple locations. Now that shouldn't be the primary reason because that that's that's not the right thing to do. But the ones that are already entrepreneurial minded, that is a very big carrot uh, at mm-hmm. the end of the effort of actually going through uh, building out a group. So there's a couple things I want to nibble on there. The, the so for a single a single location, let's say they've got four or five hundred thousand dollars in, in you know again you say EBITDA, let's just call it, um, and and that's what it is. That's what that's kind of what the, the term of art is. But so you know net operating income profit. So if you have $400,000 in that profit, you're looking at four to five times that to get the value. So that would be 1.6 to $2 million in total value for, for that particular, for, for, for a single location. Is that, 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 that's what you're saying? That's correct. Okay. For, for this specific example, right. there's a lot behind that. And, and right. what I mean by that is if we're talking to that single location, you're going to want to see how long have you been open? What's the trajectory like? Meaning, is that 1.5 million doing, you know, going up? Or right. was it 2 million two years ago and it's going down? Those would be very different valuations. So there's a lot of, you know, things that we need to discuss behind that. Right. You know, how new, how old is your equipment? Because buyers are going to look at what type of investment they're going to have to do post-close. Uh, you know, we already talked about the growth pattern and everything in between. So there's a lot behind that. But if you're a well-run med spa, then yes, I think that that's typically what you should expect. And the, and the advantage for that is, especially like you ask, like, why is not you, but people ask, like, why, why private equity? Why not physician to physician, for example? And that's the answer is private equity is not bound by if I'm a physician, I, I may have to go to my bank 
and get funding for that. And, and banks look at it very, very differently. They might lend on a percentage of revenue, mm-hmm. uh, which is why some people historically have valued percentage of revenue. That's not the way that, you know, private equity and family offices value. So so that's where it starts getting difficult for the physician to compete uh, versus a private equity group and also the risk of closing and things like that. So so it can be so obviously it's a it's going to be a range depending on 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 how your business is doing, how long it's been, what type of equipment you have, what the trajectory is, um, things like that, then. As you add up to different to, to multiple locations, two, three, four, five, that that multiple, which is when you hear people talk about multiples, that's that's, that's what they mean. That the multiple goes up to nine and higher. I've seen, you know, we've seen we've seen higher than nine. Um, so that would be, you know, if you've got again, if you've got a seven million dollar EBITDA, seven million dollar profit, you know, nine, ten times that, you're looking at sixty, seventy million dollars. Um, is there a a minimum number? of locations where that 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 value tends to kick in that nine ten times value or, or multiple or is it is it just anything more than one and then i guess the corollary to that is what why do multiple locations have higher multiples than single locations yeah good question so um you know the reason we gave the range of four hundred thousand even dot is seven is to give that you know four times multiple to nine and then in between there you have all the ranges so right. um You know, number one, what we like to tell our clients early on when we're working with them is we try to shift the mindset and they somewhat go hand in hand, but we try to shift the mindset from number of locations to EBITDA because, you know, we have some people that that say, hey, I have 10 locations. Okay, well, how much EBITDA do you have? And it could be that each location is doing like 100,000 in EBITDA. That's not very attractive to a buyer. Ultimately, it's about free cash flow. And then the reason you start seeing these multiples grow with the combination of increased EBITDA and increased number of locations is because usually what you're seeing there is you're morphing from a single location to a group. And usually what that means, let's just take an MSO as an example, management services organization. We like to say the S is for support. The MSO, if you think about it this way, their client is the location. Similar to the location's client is the patient. And what that ends up doing over time is you have to start building a team. You start, you, you have to start, if you if you get to 10 locations, it's very difficult to have all 10 run extremely differently, to have all 10 have 10 different SOPs, to mm-hmm. have all 10 have you know, zero consistency. So the very efficient groups, what they do is that management team, that management company is actually helping with the administrative, the business services. So think of a 10 location with a group that is digesting financials every month for all the locations to see how they're doing. That's digesting and analyzing the KPIs that has HR services centralized that if they have a legal issue, has a legal team on hand. You have all of these things, a call center that may be a centralized and even if not has some sort of consistency, greater buying power. Uh, All of these combinations, what it does is it adds to the value of the company, of the organization as a whole, because a buyer can then theoretically come in and say, hey, Alex, congrats on these 10 you've built. Can you show me your playbook? 
And hopefully by then you'll have, you know, tight financial controls. You, you'll have SOPs in place. You'll have, hey, location number 11 is going to look like this. And here's my secret sauce. There's a premium to be paid for that, for that team that's behind the entire organization. And it allows the providers to do what they do best, which is treat their patients. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not necessarily three locations versus five locations or versus 10 locations, it's, it's the infrastructure that you have in place and the EBITDA that you're generating that's going to that's gonna generate the value. Yes, 100%. Okay. And, and usually the multiple locations goes with that, to your point earlier, mm-hmm. because it forces you to centralize, to build you know, a deeper team, to keep an eye on all these locations. Yeah. You're right. So talk about, so when you say like a nine times multiple, um, to, to value, uh, you know, a, a chain of say, you know, three to five med spas with $7 million in, in profit and nine times multiple, you know, that, that's a, that's, that's a, a good chunk of change for an owner. What, what, how does that multiple that, that nine times multiple relate to other, um, industries where, where, where things are being bought and sold. So, and what I mean by that is, you know, if you go, you know, the med spa industry is hot right now. There's a lot of buyers. The the market is in our favor. Um, if it wasn't, if it was just kind of normal uh, or compared to the dental industry, what types of values are being paid in those industries and how does it compare to what we're seeing right now in med spas? Yeah, I think until you get to a certain consolidation point, a certain consolidation percentage, that's when you start seeing the multiples drop. Um, so we've seen this in certain spaces. Pharmacy, for example, wouldn't command the same multiple if you're able to pull that off. Uh, dental multiples are comparable for non-Medicaid groups. Um, if you're looking at comparing the same level of EBITDA and or locations to MedSpa, they're, they're almost identical, actually, okay. for non-Medicaid. And, and that gets into an important point uh, when you're looking at sellers, just a quick diversion here, and then I'll get back on point. When you're looking at selling, private equity investors, they don't like risk. And th- so that's the reason why you see low multiples for Medicaid. It's what's called a pen stroke risk. That's important for all sellers to know when you're thinking about how you're doing things, regulatory, compliance, all of these things, uh, get rid of the risk. Uh, that's just a side note, but um, we're seeing, you know, comparable multiples in those spaces, optometry, ophthalmology, and vet. I'd say vet is a little bit higher than those for, for some reason, which is interesting. Uh, ABA behavioral therapy is a little bit higher. Beneath that, it's our industry and dental and ophthalmology and optometry. Okay. Uh, very comparable multiples. And I don't see them dropping until you get to a certain consolidation point, which none of those industries are in right now. Right, right. So, okay, let's, I mean, let's, let, let's kind of walk through specifically. Um, let's say I'm a, a med spa owner and, and, and I know there's going to be different different ways this plays out. But if I, uh, let's say I have a single location, but I'm, you know, I'm looking to grow and I come to you and I say, all right, I'm, you know, I'm, I, Either I, I want to grow, I, I feel like this brand can be bigger and we can do more in more states for more people. Or conversely, I say, you know what, I'm tired. I want to, you know, I'm ready to, to kind of cash in, take, take some chips off the, the table. Um, what's your advice to, to, to MedSpa owners as far as what they do to prepare themselves to be best situated 
to be sold. And I, and I, and I know, you know, more locations is, is the better. I mean, is, is that your kind of first advice to someone to say, Hey, get more locations, increase your EBITDA, or what are some of the steps they have to look at that, that, that prime prime sellers are doing to, 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 to be prepared to get the best value? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, we try to fit our approach to, to what our clients want. Uh, there are some that call us to your first example and they say, Hey, I want to grow. I want to scale. How do I get there? And with them, as early as we can, we ask them to close their eyes and to paint that painting that they have in their mind and translate it to us. Because what that allows us to do is we can say, okay, Alex, you have one location at 400,000 EBITDA. You're telling me you want to get to 10 million EBITDA. Let's just use that academic example. We project out immediately. This is what we think it would take to get there. And this is the team you'd have to build. This is the number of years you said. So what we're doing is you're putting a lighthouse out there. How do you get from here to there and start working toward that immediately? And we always like to say, you know, that you always should be deal ready. And I'll get into that here in a second. So with them, it's a very long-term approach. So we have the benefit and luxury, and they do as well, of time. Uh, of preparing for that sale to where throughout in our relationship, we're talking about value. We're talking about buyers. We're talking about the market. And we know usually two years out before they want to go to market. That one's pretty simple from the perspective of how to prepare Mm -hmm. uh, because they'll be prepared throughout the ones who call us and say, I'm done. I'm ready. I have a single location. Here's what it looks like. What we ask from them is some preliminary information, you know, profitability, how's your team look, turnover, benefits. We we just try to get a good understanding of the organization and we let them know this is what we think that you would command at market. Um, and, And then it's up to them as to whether that dollar value is right or not. Usually what we like to have, even if you're going to sell tomorrow, if you will, if, if I would suggest most of our sellers, this is the one and only time they're going to sell their business. It's their life's work. Mm-hmm. We like to come in day one and say, this is one of the most important five things most people do in their life. We take it very seriously. You should take it seriously as well. It's a roller coaster ride. It's your baby. And with that, if we don't think they're ready to sell, and, and, and I don't mean I want you at 10 million EBITDA. I mean, there are certain things here that you should window dress, that you should tighten up and maybe give us nine months or 12 months before you go to market. And we explain the why. Then, you know, the, there, there are always opportunities such as do you have tight financial controls? Do you have monthly financials that are produced on time? Are you reviewing them? Are they clean? That's step one that buyers are going to look at. And then the second part of it is in order to get a really solid term sheet, an LOI, letter of intent, um, you want to be sure that you have everything ready to go. Everything relating to your team, everything related to anything contractual, a lot of legal documents, leases, everything a buyer is going to want to sift through to really put together a solid term sheet for you. You should do yourself a favor and get that in place because what you want from a buyer is something that they can stand behind. And the more gray they have, the more ability that they have after you sign that term sheet to come back to the table because they'll do even deeper due diligence after that term sheet and they will find everything and they'll come back to that table and have that conversation of, Hey, we need to talk. So I think it always behooves us if you're not fully ready to go to tighten up a few things. 
And, and, you know, we've, I, I've heard the term, uh, run your business, like you're getting ready to sell it or like you want to sell it. And, um, you know, to me, that means just having your, having your shit together, having your books in order, right. Having, you know, making sure that you're, you're compliant, making sure that your, your, your contracts are, are, are in place. I think it, you know, it means different things to different people, but, um, are there, you know, putting aside revenue and, and, and profit. Cause I know, you know, like, like you said, buyers are looking for, you know, what's their, you know, what type of, fr- of free cash, what type of EBITDA can they, can they get putting that aside? Are there, are there, and, and putting aside the number of locations as well, are there certain characteristics that are going to stand out? I mean, do you have buyer or sellers who like, they've got all their, their ducks in a row, everything is done. And, and does that make a true difference? Um, versus someone who says, you know what, I'm just like, I'm tired. I want to sell. Yes, I've got all this. I need to do all this work. Like, we'll we'll just kind of get it together as you go. I mean, is, is there an impact on value for that? There is. There is. Usually, you know, buyers will see that. Buyers will sense that. If we have, uh, let's just take those two examples. If we have someone who's ready to sell, who has their ducks in a row, uh, same size. It can be a single location as the other example you gave. Buyers will sense that that person has everything together. The business is probably run the same way that the owner runs Mm -hmm. his or her life, right? Mm -hmm. And buyers know that. So it's probably a business that maybe has SOPs in place, even if it's not overly large, that, you know, I can ask for their financials and they have it and they'll send it to me in an hour versus the other example of I'm tired, I'm done, I just want to sell you get beat up for that. And what I mean by that is usually if a buyer, a buyer could be looking at both of those businesses, by the way, at the same time. And and very naturally they're going to place a higher value on the, on the former one than the latter one. So they're going to go through and ask a bunch of questions. And if those answers aren't coming in a timely manner, and if it's not organized information, it tends to spook buyers because they do like, you know, we talked earlier, they don't like risk. Uh, a big fear that they have is I'm going to buy this and it's going to nosedive. The other piece of that is if we do have a seller that says I'm done, one thing to keep in mind, uh, and I think this is for everybody, one thing to keep in mind is what you're doing today, this isn't an oil well we're selling, right? Like, you know, if Alex is is, is injecting all day and is 80% of my revenues, I, the buyer, if Alex is an owner, I'm going to want you to roll equity. And what that means is, if I value you at $10 million, I'm going to ask to hold on to some of that. And you're going to be part of my business and hopefully you'll make a return on that. But, you know, the point there is that this is a people business and usually buyers are going to want you to do tomorrow what you're doing today, meaning post-close. So if you are of the mindset that you're done, that also would beat up your value versus somebody who is selling, knowing that a buyer would give them a higher valuation potentially if they're willing to work an extra two, three, four years with the buyer as it transitions to make sure that there's not that nosedive that we talked about earlier, mm-hmm. getting rid of risk again. Yeah. And, you know, I, I heard you say this one one time. I think it might have been in a talk. I mean, it might have been a medical spot show, but um, or maybe it was just during our conversations. It was it was something to the effect of um, and, I, and I've seen this before, like these these larger groups will come in, they'll find an individual seller like a like a plastic surgeon or whatever, and they'll be at a conference and they'll just be talking to them and they'll they'll learn through just their their casual conversation that the doctor wants or would consider selling. 
and they end up just throwing out an offer and say, eh, what about, you know, $10 million, whatever. And it gets the, it gets the owner excited and they end up going down this path. Um, what's, what's the, what's the benefit to, to, to going to market? And, and this seems, this seems intuitive, but versus, versus that approach. And, and why should folks be careful if they're approached, whether it's over dinner, drinks, whatever, from someone who's just looking to buy, because you, you, you go down that road and, and it can, it can spin kind of your fortunes very, very quickly. Yeah, it, it can be an exciting conversation. I, I think, you know, we talked earlier about one of the most important five things you'll probably do in your life. You're selling your life's work. Um, I wouldn't sell my house that way. So right. the thought of selling my business that way, I couldn't imagine it. So, and here's why. If a seller, if a buyer comes to a seller and says, hey, Alex, um, I'm very interested in your organization. You built a great med spa. I'd love to, to buy you. Can you send me some information? And then I'm going to put an offer in front of you. It may be a respectable offer, but always keep in mind that it's an offer that the buyer wants to pay for you it may not be the offer that the market commands Mm -hmm. and it may not be above and beyond that, not even talking numbers. There's always deal structure components uh, to take into consideration. How much are they paying me day one? How much are they holding back? Uh, What's my non-compete look like? There's a lot of stuff within the actual letter of intent, the term sheet that, that, that is going to be one term sheet that you see. You don't know whether that's good or not. You don't know whether the value of your business is good or not. And probably just as importantly, because we talked about working with the buyer for a number of years post-close, you don't know whether I'm your right partner. Mm -hmm. So think of the opposite approach, which is you've built something sizable. The way I would think about it is, okay, a buyer came up to me. I have something here. You should be, the seller should be the one picking the buyer. And what I mean by that is we talked at the very beginning of, of how many groups are coming up to, you know, even you asking about the space, like, do you know any MSOs, et cetera? And they're calling us asking the same thing. Everybody's feeling that. So what that means is if you get that phone call, just know that you have a line of buyers wanting to speak with you if you want to turn that process on. And that allows you to, one, pick the partner that you want. Because all private equity groups are different. Their approaches are going to be different. The personalities are going to be different. You want to be able to, you know, marry someone that you like because you'll be with them a few years after close. Number two is it allows for that competition. If I know that somebody next to me is going to be placing an offer, I'm probably going to offer a little bit more than that initial conversation of when you and I were the only ones talking. And then same with the term sheet. When you get the term sheet, if we have five we're looking at, we can call the buyer we like and say, you know, we like a lot of it, but, you know, some of these other term sheets don't have certain pieces that we don't like. Can we talk about it? That, that gives a seller tremendous leverage to get the right value structure and partner for their organization. So, you know, I, I would definitely not recommend uh, going with, you know, just the buyer who calls you out of the blue. Thanks for joining us this week with the American Med Spa podcast, Medical Spa Insider. This week, founder Alex Tiersch was joined by Ben Hernandez of Skytel Group. This was part one of a two-part series. If you're new with us, we would love to invite you to hit the subscribe button. Click it now so you can get AmSpa content delivered to you each time. Leave a rating and a review. See you on our next episode.